to the Urban Planners Podcast, hosted by Gigi the Planner. This podcast is about all things urban planning related and otherwise. In this setting, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the planning field. We'll even delve into some very controversial topics involving the role planners have to take in their everyday lives and jobs. Without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. This This is Gigi the Planner. Welcome everyone to episode 30 of the Urban Planners Podcast. Today I'll be ending my three-part series called Starting Your Planning Brand and I'll be interviewing Byron Nicholas from the Black and Urban platform. And we'll be talking about how he got started with his brand back in 2018 and all about how he was able to use his platform to do to have a lot of articles regarding Black and Urban here in the U.S., so let's jump into today's episode. Thank you, Byron, for joining me for an episode of the Urban Planners podcast. You're the final interviewee for my Start Your Planning Brand series. Oh, great. That's exciting. Saving the, le- the best for last. I don't want to be biased. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just fine. So please share with my audience your planning story. How did you get into the planning field? So I think I am unique in that sense where... I always knew that I wanted to be an urban planner. The thing is, I didn't know at that time what the profession was at such a young age. I want to say back in middle school, when I'm 13 years old, uh, I used to draw uh, maps. And the maps would be city blocks with uh, bus lines, subway lines. And it was just very detailed. I would have a downtown core suburban neighborhoods. And it was just very interesting. And I think what helped me influence my interest in planning was the location that I grew up in. That's in uh, southeastern Queens and Jamaica, Queens in New York. And I always had to uh, travel to Manhattan, taking a train, meet my mom uh, after school sometimes. And I noticed the difference in land use patterns, taking a bus to the train. Jamaica, Queens is a very somewhat suburban area, depending on where you're at. But for example, the house that I grew up in was a single family home. And then taking a bus from that house to the center of Jamaica, Queens, we had to transfer to the train. And that was more of a neighborhood type of downtown. And then lastly, from taking the E-train from Jamaica, Queens. I, I know a lot of New York people definitely know what I'm talking about. But uh, taking the E-train from Jamaica, Queens to Midtown Manhattan, you definitely see the uh, land use changes into, of course, commercial skyscrapers. And I always took a keen interest in that. And only until like high school, going into college, I knew what that profession was. So yeah, I was at a very young age, I was very interested in planning, at least the physical land use component of it. So when did you find out what the actual profession was? Was that an undergrad or when did you find that out? I would say uh, sophomore year in high school, uh, I did an ACE program. It was the acronym stand for Architecture, Construction and Engineer. And uh, they introduced you into the place making field type of industries. It also included urban planning. And that's when I actually knew that urban planning was a sound profession that was on the same tier as engineering, uh, architecture. Uh, the thing is, my dad is an architect. He used to work for New York City uh, School Construction Authority. I was introduced to 
that realm at a very young age, of course, there's major differences between architecture and planning. So I wasn't really understanding of the, the urban planning component of it. My mom actually went to architecture school herself um, at FAMU. And so that's how I got into the field of urban planning by way of architecture. But yeah, I didn't really know what urban, I think my, my mom knew what it was, but she didn't really share that with me. She was just telling me, oh, you, you know, I'll teach you how to drive. Then I thought I wanted to be an architect. And then when I got into school, I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not, not yeah. for me. Really, I remember also drawing houses and trying to do a, a side view plan of a house and stuff. But my drawing skills are just horrible. So that's when I think I realized that perhaps architecture isn't for me. And that's why if planning was more keen to my interests. So you're currently a transportation planner for Hudson County, New Jersey. What are the pros and cons about your current job? Uh, there's a lot of pros, I must say. Um, I do enjoy the freedom of being able to provide any type of input, of course, related to my planning and my expertise in transportation planning and various committee meetings, workshops. I'm the liaison between my MPO, NJTPA, and Hudson County, who I'm employed by. So I go to various different uh, meetings. I'm actually a member of uh, multiple standing committees. So just being able to provide whatever input or opinion about certain matters in regards to transportation, even right now, equity is a huge topic for transportation planning and planning overall. So me being able to provide my opinions about that matter, I think is very interesting and something that I look forward to at my job. I would say a major con for me, working on the county level, we have 12 municipalities, which sits within Hudson County. And sometimes it's difficult trying to implement a particular goals or projects and not all of the municipalities are on uh, the same uh, playing field. You're going to have mayors that are interested in one particular thing than another. So it does become difficult to carry out some of our county goals uh, related to transportation when you have municipalities that defer in at least their interests. So working in New Jersey, you're required to have a professional planner's license, and that's the only state in the U.S. that has that. What was the process for you obtaining that was different than just obtaining ASCP? Yeah, I think we probably had this conversation before, but I always tell people the PP or the professional planner's license for the state of New Jersey, that exam was very difficult compared to AICP. Um, and I think it's difficult because it's so detailed. Uh, the, the requirements are similar. I think you have to have um, similar experience, the amount of years that you have to have prior to taking the exam. I think it's probably five years or something. We had to get five different um, references from different practicing planners who would reference you to get the license. And AICP, I believe it has changed and it, it continuously changes. I'm not sure what the reference requirement is now, but I believe it was definitely less than that. But going into the exam, there were a few difficult components of it. One of the difficulties uh, lied in just trying to study for an exam that is outdated. And the exam is essentially outdated because the state don't update the exam or they have, New Jersey haven't updated their state plan 
in almost, I want to say a decade or so. So we can't think of the present times and what is going around in our surroundings and the environment as help to us. We have to revert back to a particular time frame for particular case studies. I think the, the difficulty definitely lied in that. And then you, we had to be very aware of the different departments within the state and uh, their various goals. Uh, pertaining to planning, of course. But at the same time, I think it is very unique to have a, a state license. As you mentioned, I believe it's the only state. I thought it was another state that had it too, but could never find out yeah, which other state it was. So I guess it is on New Jersey. But it, yeah, so it, it's pretty be, you know, unique in that sense that New Jersey State actually cares so much about the physical realm to have planning professionals seek a license for it. As it relates to it being hard, and they say it's really hard, and would you compare it similar to maybe how architects would have to take their exam, where you have to take multiple sections, or is it not like that? No. AIA exam, I, I can imagine, is extremely difficult. My planning school was within the School of Architecture and Planning at University of Buffalo, so I've had classes with architects. I know the struggle and the work that they've had to go through or still have to go through. So yeah, I would never compare it to the architecture field or the architecture in itself or uh, the exam that they would have to take. Simply, as you mentioned, they have to take multiple exams, similar to engineers as well. They got to take multiple exams. I I think the closest I would compare it to, and it's still a far reach, is to be an attorney within a, a state in the United States. You have to be very mindful of or careful about how words are being read. So you have to be very thoughtful in your response with that. It's multiple choice. So compared to the bar exam, I believe there's written sections. So it's easier than that. But the way that the questions are written, and sometimes they give you examples, or I would say case studies, not examples, in which you have to figure out certain results, that can be very difficult as well. But it's a comprehensive exam, just like AICP. So you have to know everything that uh, is presented on the exam. So do you have to have that license to be a planner in the state of New Jersey? The benefits of having your planning license in New Jersey, besides jobs giving you bonuses because you've passed your license, um, a professional planner is able to sign uh, legal documents. So, for example, subdivision plats, uh, site plan maps or site plans in, in general, uh, we're, we're able to sign those documents. And usually, I believe in other states, perhaps only engineers would sign them. But the point is that the planning professional is seen as an extra level of review. And our profession, at least in the state, because of that, it appears that they are mindful of the expertise that we have and they want the public to know that as well. So on all of these legal documents, even certain letters as well, consultant reports, we're able to sign all of those if we review it and we agree with it. One major thing, we're able to testify at planning board hearings. And our testimony is seen as an expert witness um, testimony. So that benefits both the public and benefit the planning profession as well, as we're taken more seriously. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of benefits. And I've worked in the state of New York as well. So I'm familiar with some of the differences that planners have in New York and in New Jersey 
with or without the New Jersey license. I didn't know that you guys can sign on certain documents. So mm-hmm. is it yep. similar to having a stamp or is it just you signing your signature? Yeah, so you definitely sign your signature and you also have like a seal. So usually it's sealed and signed, yeah. That's, I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. So the other states should probably do the same, I would think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about Black and Urban. So you founded Black and Urban, I think it was 2018, if I remember correctly. But what was the reasons for starting that medium and that brand? So yeah, Black and Urban, I always called it a side project. It really started out of my interest of writing and of course reading as well. But I think many of us do. We feel our voices aren't usually heard. And I remember at the time, this was probably early 2018, I wanted to submit an editorial piece to a well-known publication. And when I emailed my contact with them, they asked for a pitch. I'm not a journalist or anything. At that time, I'm like, wait, what is a pitch? I didn't understand the context of a pitch in regards to what they were asking for in the email. Of course, I had to Google it. I didn't have a pitch. And when I told the contact that, she essentially ignored me. So I felt like Uh, My voice wasn't being heard. I was being very opinionated about a particular subject in regards to transportation matters, of course, but also the Black psyche and how we tend to be seen as someone that is aggressive or someone that is harmful in public spaces and particularly transportation facilities. So, for example, being on the subway, how does one look at me compared to how I think of myself? Does the person sitting across from me who is non-Black see me as an aggressor. So yeah, I wrote a piece about that. And that was the first piece that I wrote for Black and Urban. But going back to the initial concept of Black and Urban, yeah, it, it ventured off from me not being able to share my own opinion and share my own uh, story on another platform. So I simply created my own platform. And I think that goes back to just that saying where if you're not invited to a seat at the table, then you got to create your own table. So that's essentially what I do. That makes sense. And I can totally understand that. So you aren't the only person working within your brand. You have a few family members that assist you. What made you decide to incorporate your family in your brand and how did they assist you? Yeah, so I have Christopher Nicholas. He is a, a transportation planner as well, but on the West Coast, work for uh, Caltrans. And I also have my sister, Coretta Mondesir. A lot of folks are aware that she's my sister because of the last name now, but she's recently married. And the incorporation into Black and Urban became very natural. I think Black and Urban sticks out to a lot of folks. Chris, he's a transportation planner, just like myself. My sister, she is in uh, urban policy. So Black and Urban encompasses a lot of different thoughts. And because of the platform, the online digital platform I was able to create, I think it allowed other folks, including Chris and Coretta, to evolve with their particular ideas and to carry out what they thought would have been uh, great for the platform and, of course, being unique to themselves as well. But I would say both of them, they serve as advisors to Black and Urban now. I definitely go to both of them for advice or even suggestions. Even one particular program, Sharing Solutions to Improve Our Spaces, a writing contest, uh, they serve as review advisors. uh, So they definitely assist me with that. Chris, 
for example, he curated and created the entire Black and Slack platform, in which we're still getting some folks uh, interested in joining, uh, which is a really great. But yeah, it just happened naturally. Their interests, my interests coincide with one another. And I did want to point out that my sister, she has her own uh, platform now, Urban Money Project, that she's heavily involved in. She still is able to assist me in the advisory role for Black and Urban. Awesome. I wish I had family members in urban planning so they could join <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> I think that's really So as of right now, I know probably it's changing in a couple of years or so, but right now your platform is largely comprised of articles surrounding Black and urban in the U.S. So how are you able to find the different writers for some of these articles? Yes, I'm being creative in many ways where, one, I think me just starting off writing my own articles and saying, hey, you can use this space as a digital portfolio. I I think I'm advertising to college students um, entering the workforce where I know for a fact myself, it was very difficult for me to put myself out there coming out of college into Uh, my career. So I want to be able to help college students do that. And so as I mentioned before, with the writing contest, that is is essentially um, curated for uh, college students. Um, But outside of that, I've had um, multiple folks just seeing blackandurban.com and they contact me via email and they're like, hey, I have this great idea. I want to be able uh, to write an article. I want to be able to contribute certain things, etc. I remember I've had Vanessa Morrison. She is actually in Oklahoma, a planner, and she is also affiliated with Black Space. And she had reached out to me. And I remember the article that she sent me, it was just so intriguing. And I was just like, yeah, I definitely got to post this. So yeah, some folks, they just bring such great, bright ideas. Or in Vanessa's case, she had submitted an article on a project that she had worked on and is completely implemented. So I thought that to be just so essentially what Black and Urban is about. It's kind of, hey, we have one Black planners and Black forward thinkers doing different things in our communities. I want to be able to showcase that. And two, if you have any ideas to improve our communities, which is always tend to be historically disproportionately underserved, I want to hear those ideas as well. So I think, you know, we've had a good amount of people just reaching out, providing their ideas. I just want to mention as well, all the folks that reach out, they don't necessarily even will provide an article. And sometimes they will be able to help out in different ways. I've had a, a good amount of stories or success stories in regards to that too, where they've been helpful to Black and Urban in other ways. So win-win. <laughs> awesome. So what have been some of the challenges that you've faced so far since starting your platform? For one, I have my nine to five job and I don't want to just term it my nine to five job. I'm a planning professional working in the public realm. I'm trying to balance both black and urban and my job. Of course, I have to put preference or priority as a better term to my employer, but I feel like black and urban is essentially another part of me at this point. So I want to put more time and effort into it but I just don't have the mental capacity or the time um, for it. When I really want to, I just honestly don't have the time to do certain things. But I think that's one of the things that I wish I could have changed, whereas I just have more time to put in energy into some of these initiatives that I have going on, but I simply don't. But it's okay. I think I'm able to 
work around that and being able to collaborate with so many other folks. So I think that motivates me to push myself. So essentially, even though it's a side project, it comes off as another job where I'm passionate about it. So I'll definitely keep working towards it. So have you faced any conflicts of interest with having Black and Urban with your job? Do they know that you have this platform? I work closely with uh, my planning department at Hudson County, and they're a younger crowd there at at the uh, planning department. And yeah, they definitely know about Black and Urban. I think perhaps because Black and Urban is a digital platform, it's probably more curated towards younger crowds. So folks in their 20s, 30s, et cetera. In my engineering department, per se, I honestly don't think they know. But I also am very aware of potential conflicts of interests. And me being a, a certified planner, I'm always aware of the code of ethics. And so I, yeah, I try not to engage in anything that would appear to be a conflict or be harmful to either parties. So. Okay, well, I'm sure that people listening would have that question regarding conflicts of interest if they were to start their own brand and still have a nine-to-five job. Okay, so what are some of the key tools that you use to ensure that everything's running smoothly on the day-to-day? In regards to Black and Urban, so I, I have the Google Suite package. I think that's very useful. Let me start off by saying I've built the Black and Urban website through a Squarespace. I think Squarespace is uh, very intuitive. Um, It's easy to use. It's easy to pull in other media platforms onto Squarespace. And I I guess they have some package with Google. So uh, my email, et cetera, is just simplified. And I love that. And with the calendar stuff with Google, just the whole Google package, of course. I think that simplifies when it comes to scheduling, when it comes to email blasts, when it comes to a lot of different things. I I must say the the subscriptions that I do have with Squarespace and Google have been very beneficial to me. And it it definitely comes with a cost. And I'm upfronting that cost from my personal funds. But it goes back to me working on a a passion project. This is kind of like my baby in a sense. Yeah. Awesome. So what are your long-term goals of Black Urban? Where do you see it in the next five to 10 years? Five years? I don't know. (laughs) But 10 years, I hopefully would see myself, I'm going to go into private consulting. And I think, you know, that would be feasible depending on what my retirement age would be for my employer. I'm not the type of person that want to be working nine to five until I'm 65. I'm just putting that out there. But I do want to be able to be flexible with my employment. One of my dreams is to work from a beach in another country. As we can see, we're working from home in certain cases for this pandemic. I'm actually back in the office, but I've had to work from home for a certain time. And we can do certain things in planning from home. Of course, certain research stuff, quantitative per se. Qualitative, I would definitely uh, prefer to be out in the field. But just into my personal interests, I would want to have the flexibility of just being able to pick what project I want and say, hey, I want to work on this and when I want to work on it. So I do hope that Black and Urban would grow into that type of consulting company. It started off as a, a, a passion project. I don't have major expectations for it. And I think perhaps me not having expectations is probably 
even better because I'm not going to be disappointed if I, these goals for Black and Urban don't come true. So I'm content either way. So what are some points of advice to the audience that wants to start their own brand, whether that be through a website, social media, what points of advice do you have? One, I would say uh, definitely go for it. For me, there were certain doubts in the beginning. I felt that it may be too much work. It may be a lot of conflicts of interest with my current job, but you wouldn't know until you start it, right? And the doubts are all the negative things that um, come to mind. But just think about the, the, the positive impacts you may have to other folks, whether you're working on particular initiatives with other social media brands and other personal brands, or you're just doing your own side project and you're publicizing that in a way um, that's different from the projects that you're working at from your job. I think it's essential to have an escape, have a, a platform in which you're able to speak your mind. And reverting back to my nine to five, we're limited in the things that we have to say publicly because we're representing another interest. But if you have your own personal brand, you're able to work with whatever comes to mind and you don't have to have a, a filter and that's going to be the true you. So essentially with Black and Urban, that's the true me. Whatever you see on there in regards to articles, in regards to any postings that you may see on my Twitter and Instagram account, it all relates to how I feel um, pertaining to topics of, of me being a Black male in America and of course being an urban planner as well. So it's, it's combining those two. And I can't do that in other spaces. So Creating your own brand allows you to create your own space and to be free and do what, what you want to do. So I would encourage everyone to pursue what they really want to do, whether you have to work part time on it. I think it will still have a beneficial outcome. So, yeah, I say go for it. Awesome. So in wrapping up, can you please provide your social media platform and your website address so people can follow you and you know read your articles? Sure, sure. Yeah. So Black and Urban's uh, website is www.blackandurban.com. My Instagram is at Black and Urban. And then my Twitter account is Black and Urban underscore. Unfortunately, someone got that streamlined Black and Urban Twitter account before me. So uh, make sure you got the underscore for the uh, Twitter account. And I do want to mention, if you're a college student, a uh, young graduate student seeking jobs and particular opportunities, feel free to reach out to me. Send me an email. I do, I've reviewed multiple resumes and cover letters. So if you need any particular advice, I'm not saying I have all the answers. Folks that are in uh, the planning career now, I think we all may have uh, something in common where we once struggled to get into our fields. And many of us have uh, unique experiences. And I know for a fact, for me, going from college to into my career, just reaching out to folks and talking with folks, informational interviews were very helpful just to understand and grasp uh, what I potentially would be dealing with when I get into my career was very helpful. So I encourage you to reach out to me for any advice and help or aid or anything that I can hopefully assist you with. Awesome. Thank you for joining me today. Um, and I hope you have a good night. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good one. 
Thank you all for listening to today's podcast. If you would like to be interviewed in a future episode, please head over to my website at ggtheplanner.com and select the interview tab and you can request to be interviewed by me in a future episode. That's all for today, folks. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Urban Planners Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head over and leave a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast so that you won't miss out on an episode. If you would like to buy personalized urban planning gear and other products or are in need of some urban planning career coaching, please head over to ggtheplanner.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at ggtheplanner. Have a great week and we'll see you next episode.